Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hello, Jonathan. How are you this week? It has been a very busy week. It has been. It's been a very busy week for you. Yes, for me. Very much so for me. And uh, we're going to jump right into that because this week, Lifeway Christian Resources announced its plans for its new location for the corporate headquarters here in Nashville. And that's kind of a big deal to you guys. It's a really big deal. We uh, we mentioned on the podcast last fall that we had sold the building and all the property downtown for a record $125 million, largest real estate transaction in Nashville history. And today, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, February the 4th, I froze my tail off this morning at a news conference announcement at the new site, uh, just a few hundred yards actually from the current LifeWay site. We're just moving uh, a little bit to the north in the North Gulch area in a development called Capital View. That's capital with an O because you can see the capital from the area. It's oh, the name. I see what they did there. Yeah, capital View. Uh, so we're right back there. Uh, you know Nashville very well, Amy. It's just north of Charlotte Avenue, uh, over right by the uh, Marathon Village area, really close to the farmer's market over there on the north side of the capital. So that, that'll be a great little uh, walking distance trip for us now. It, it was kind of a long walk in the past, but uh, now it's, yeah. it's just a couple blocks away. It's really nice. Well, and everything you see from sort of the, the speculation about that area of town, I think you're going to end up with a lot more places to walk to Yes, besides yeah. just the farmer's market. Because so. the Capital View development is going to be a, a mixed-use development with residential, with commercial, with retail. So it, it's basically going to be that North Gulch. Uh, if anybody's familiar with Nashville, the Gulch is kind of a, a hip and trendy area of town, a lot of uh, urban lofts and things like that, a lot of great restaurants and stuff. So this is just kind of the northern continuation of that uh, and also connected with the greenways and everything around Nashville. So a very, very Nashville place, a, a great place for us to be. We are so excited to be staying in downtown Nashville. A huge announcement in our trustee meeting this week. I was the big piece of news coming out of trustee meeting was uh, the approval of the purchase. And, and I got to thinking about it kind of after the fact. They didn't really have too much of a choice uh, because we already sold the other building that we're leasing out right now. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of without a home. We're an entity with no home. So the uh, news wasn't necessarily that they approved it since it was such a good deal and it was a, yeah. a, a good situation. So we, I guess, anticipated that all of us did. Yes. But the announcement itself is just exciting and fun. Yeah. And a unanimous vote. I mean, it was just the, the, the great trustee meeting this weekend. Uh, and the trustees, you know, credit for them for their patience uh, throughout this project uh, because, I mean, there, there's been a lot of kind of minor hiccups along the way and everything. And, and, you know, and that wasn't the only news that we had this week at LifeWay. So that was the big news. But we had a big celebration yesterday for recognizing uh, Dr. Rayner's 10 years as president of LifeWay Christian Resources. Had Mandisa, had all his sons there. They spoke. Uh, your boss, Art Rayner, was in town. And yes. uh, he spoke and everything. It was just a really, really good celebration of uh, the first 10 years of Dr. Rayner's tenure. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to, to, to many more. Yes. And explain uh, for our listeners the significance of Mandisa. I mean, she. a lot of folks know she All right. was a, a, a singer on American yes. Idol, for, but for she also people. has something, something else in her history. They hear her on K-Love. She's won a Grammy. She's won K-Love Music Awards. You saw her on American Idol. For Lifeway, she's family. She started out singing in the – well, not started out singing, but she, she kind of caught her break, I guess you could say, singing in the Lifeway 
employee choir. She was a customer service representative for Lifeway. And Travis Cottrell was doing the, uh, we, every year we have a big Christmas event at Lifeway, a uh, big chapel event, two-day thing. People come back, you know, retirees come back, watch it. It's always a big deal. We, this year we had the Gettys. It was fantastic. Well, one year Travis Cottrell was doing it. Travis, as you know, does the touring band for, uh, leads the touring band for Beth Moore Living Proof Live events. Well, Travis was doing it. Mandisa was singing in the choir, noticed her. I mean, you know, and it's kind of hard not to notice. I mean, she can really, really sing. Mm-hmm. And um, so Travis invited her on tour with Living Proof Live. So she was still working customer service and everything, started doing touring with Travis. He's the one that really encouraged her to try out for American Idol. And, you know, like they say, the rest is history. You know, she tries out for American Idol. She makes it on there, makes the top 10 or whatever it was. Uh, and she's on to a, a career in recording here in Nashville. And, you know, a Grammy later and a couple of K-Love Awards, a couple of big hit songs. Uh, Good Morning, the the song that... Uh, was probably the the biggest highlight of the day because Eric Geiger, vice president of the resources division, came out and did the Toby Mac rap to to the surprise of many, but to any of those who know Eric Geiger, that I mean that's that's his thing. So he's a huge fan of like '90s rap or whatever, and um, knows all the the stuff from the Beastie Boys and everything back in the day. So for him to get up there, he had an absolute blast. His daughter says was sitting next to me. I didn't know what was coming. But Evie's sitting there. Evie's a huge Mandisa fan. And Daddy got to get up there and perform with Mandisa. So she skipped school and came. And it was, it was just a great time. We had a blast. That's, that's really neat. And I did not know. I saw something on Twitter about Eric Geiger doing something on stage. But I didn't realize that's what it was. So I'm very impressed. Um, and I remember, so Mandisa worked there years before I did. But when she came back and did chapel a couple of years ago, I can still remember her standing on stage and uh, reciting the Lifeway mission statement yes. from memory. Yes. And uh, because she just, you know, had been there for so many years and loved it there, had so many friends and things. So uh, having her there is more than just a musician that, you know, you sell in the store. She's very much a a special part of the history there. Um, so very neat. Uh, sounds like it was a good, good time for, for everyone. I saw a little bit on Periscope and uh, so heard some of Dr. Rayner's words and really appreciated all that he had to say. Yeah, it was it was fun. So it's been a been a busy week, but a historic week for Lifeway uh, with the, the presidential chapel yesterday and the 10-year anniversary, and then today with the big uh, announcement down in uh, the North Gulch of our new new home basically so uh, it was chilly but we had a great time mayor came out they made a big deal out of it and uh, it was just a really really good event so we're excited about that so big news coming from lifeway this week very cool well let's uh let's go up to kentucky uh for a totally different story um and this is uh, as we've talked about before the new governor in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, Matt Bevan, who has some uh, connections with Southern Seminary. He signed a really big bill this week. Yeah, Senate Bill 4 that he signed this week requires women seeking abortions to be informed of medical risk and benefits at least 24 hours prior to consenting to a procedure. Uh, A lot of similar legislation has been enacted in other states. I remember the big discussion, I think, over Texas a few years ago. That was a big fight, Wendy Davis and all that. Uh, about the uh, the the consent bill, and uh, that he signed that this week, and also there's some other news uh, involving abortion and Planned Parenthood 
Uh, we kind of touched on it last week in last week's podcast that they had kind of put a, a cease and desist on abortions at the Louisville clinic that had just opened up in downtown Louisville. And Governor Bevin basically put a stop to it in the Commonwealth. Right, right. He just, they, they didn't have um, everything in place. And he said, we're, we're going to stop. You can't, you can't operate an unlicensed facility that's in, in violation. So um, he just said, we're not doing it. Cease and desist is what um, what he what he did. He had the acting inspector general. Um, it, he had the acting inspector general file a cease and desist and and have them stop uh, as long as things are the way that they are. The interesting thing about the bill that was signed, um, which as you said, are some similar discussions in other states, but uh, they when they came to him to sign it. He had two options. He could sign it immediately, or he could wait uh, several days until there was uh, were some some groups that would be um, that would be at the legislature would be down there for uh, in, uh, pro life causes, demonstrating and and uh, participating. And so there was the question: Do you wait until then and do it? And it's kind of a big deal. I think it was going to be nine days, and he chose to sign it immediately, right then. So no. Yeah, there could be time for celebrations later. Let's save as many babies as we can. Yeah, and so I, I, that part of the story was very important to me yeah. when I was and, reading. And it. it shows it's bigger than politics, because right. the political thing would be to make as big a deal out of it and wait, you know, for a few days. Grand, yeah, grandstanding. grandstanding yes, all that. but he's saying no. You know what? This is life and death for a lot of babies Let's out there, it. and we're going to save every baby possible. So I'm signing it right now. So. Uh, kudos to Governor Bevins for that, and we'll keep an eye on this uh, developing story as well. I'm sure that's not the last we will hear of that. All right, Amy, we got some more Lifeway research. Got the big Super Bowl this weekend. You know I love these Lifeway research uh, stories, and again, fantastic graphics uh, in this, the little football. Major question um, among Americans, does God care who wins the Super Bowl? Now, that's kind of an interesting Interesting question because uh, obviously 88% said no, so a lot of people would say no. Um, but if you think about it, sort of pop culture, we talk about um, the 1975 Hail Mary pass uh, from uh, with Roger Staubach, who was one of my brother's favorite football players when we were kids. Um, there's another one that the story comments on from 1972, the Immaculate yeah, Reception. Franco Harris. So. Yeah, so even though we immediately, a lot of us, 88% of us say no, uh, the truth is we've made references like there was divine intervention in games. So yeah. um, it's it's a, a, an actual survey, a 1,000 Americans, and 88% said no, he doesn't care. 8% said yes, he does care. And 5% said I don't know, <laughs> which that's intriguing to me, but you're always going to have some that would say uh, that would say, I don't know. So, um, so where do you land on this, Amy? I'm going to put you on the spot. Well, I'm going to say that God cares about everything. Okay. See, I, I think it's a lot deeper than just a yes or no. That's yeah. what, I mean, I, the more because the knee jerk reaction to me is like, no, he doesn't care. But it right. actually, well, yeah, I mean, he cares, but it's not not in the same sense and definition of the word that we may think of it. Because honestly, I don't care who wins the Super Bowl. Right in the in. in in the picture of divine intervention on the football field, I, I don't really 
make a lot of references to that happening. Yeah, this is not um, angels in the outfield, you know, in the football stadium here. Right, where right. Where you've got angels, like, carrying Peyton Manning's arm around that he, you know, because he's got HGH for that, so. I cannot believe you just said that. <laughs> um, I do not endorse the statement that you just made. I'm a big supporter of Peyton Manning. So, anyway, uh, for all those... Uh, statements by Jonathan Howe do not necessarily Send reflect... Send those cards and letters to me. They yeah. do not necessarily that, reflect the opinions of SBC this week. Or Lifeway um, or anything else, yes. Or anything else. Uh, anyway, I do think at, as you said, a deeper level, I think God cares about everything. So if I were to answer that question, perhaps I would say yes. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I might land in the don't know. But I think I also, with you on the yes, so... But it's not in a yes in the sense of this question, so... We're getting way too philosophical on a simple research question, I think. Uh, but another neat little you know research project that comes alongside with the current event. So uh, yeah. check it out and uh, you know kind of think about that. Does God care who wins the Super Bowl? Maybe you throw that out during halftime this week instead of watching Coldplay. I'm going to be watching Coldplay. Oh, but. same here. All right, so give us uh, the CP news. Oh, from yep, first of the month. That means CP news, six point oh seven percent above budget already this year and remember last month they were below budget so uh new yeah, formulas a, a kicked projection, in yeah projection Proje- budget projections projection. new formulas kicked in first of the year we talked about that a little bit last month whenever we discussed that it was below i also have some other theories as to why it was below in december uh end of the year type things but uh, we we don't have the time to get into that here but cp bounced back first of the year big giving i know giving at my church is up in january it's always kind of up at the end of the year in December. So uh, giving is up 6.07% over the budgeted projection and also nearly 2% over last year. So 1.91% above contributions received last year. Excellent. So we'll keep tracking that as we always do and just seeing, seeing where we are. Speaking of the cooperative program and states, uh, North Carolina has set aside a half a million dollars for retiring IMB missionaries to, uh, to hire them. Uh, tell us about uh, this decision that Milton Holyfield and the board over in North Carolina has made, Amy. Yes. Okay. So there was a recommendation approved by the executive committee here uh, to set up a reserve fund. So this is $500,000 in a reserve fund for any IMB uh, retirees from the Voluntary Retirement Incentive who return to North Carolina. Um, and it's it's really there in a sense to be able to um, fund them to reach the people groups that are in North Carolina. So to really use some of their calling and their ministry. Yeah. They've gifts. been working with these people overseas, come back to North Carolina. Right. We'll let you work with that same people group here in the state. Right. Similar to what so, Texas is doing down in Houston and uh, through the SPTC. Yes. So that's, uh, that's what it was. So a, a lot of folks have really stepped up to say, here are ways we're going to help. Here are ways we're going to assist with transitions. Uh, here are ways we're going to actually use your gifts in what you do or help you go to school, things like that. So a lot of Southern Baptists have uh, stepped up and said, we, we understand what's happening, um, but you your ministry is not done. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I think that might be something that we see from other states as well as we go forward uh, now that those missionaries are coming back stateside. So using those talents that they had on the field back here at home. Amy, we got a couple of listener-submitted news items this week. So things that I you, and I, you and I may have missed. You got a text, I got a text, or tweets, I guess they were, from listeners. We appreciate that. And hey, by the way, if you're listening... 
Go to iTunes, give us a rating and review over there. All of those help. We really appreciate those. I'm going to just absolutely uh, just ask for it. I'm not going to depend on you to just go over there. So, uh, folks, go to iTunes, like us, review us, everything over on iTunes. Uh, like the Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash week. Uh, follow us on Twitter at SBC this week. So all that I'll get that all out of the way. But two news items of note given to us this week by listeners. Uh, Falls Creek Conference Center in Oklahoma celebrated the debt retirement of $55 million in improvements at the encampment. Uh, Falls Creek, I have not been there. Amy, you you have not been there either? I, I have not. All right. I have not. Hey, and Oklahoma, I'm, I'm grateful. Bring I'm us grateful. up there. We, we want to check it out. Yeah, I'm grateful for the listener. I wouldn't have even known about this. Yes, this I, I know story. about Falls Creek because of Kelly King, our friend who works for the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. Uh, she's talked about that. I know she hosts a lot of events at Falls Creek. I have not been, though. Uh, I didn't even know they were doing these uh, state-of-the-art renovations uh, with AV equipment, a, a large commercial-style kitchen, uh, a, a new a family lodge, and different things like that. So a lot of renovations, $55 million in improvements at the camps, and it's paid off. And now they are uh, operating without that that debt that uh, that can be so burdensome to some camps and conference centers. Very, very cool. I love it. Well, and I learned um, I, I got a submission as well. And this is something great that the IMB is doing next week. I love this. So they often have these commissioning services. Yeah, and we've seen them at the SBC convention. We've even attended some. I know that uh, you, you, I remember you mentioning one that you attended while you guys were in Waverly. Yes, I've had to miss some. We have some very dear friends who are overseas yep. now. In South Asia, I believe. Yes, and uh, they, they were commissioned and we had to miss it because of some commitments with our kids. So sometimes you can't, you can't always get to the, the city where it is. Well, they are going to live stream it. Um, February 23rd, they're going to live stream um, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, the commissioning service, missionary appointment service, uh, so that we can all celebrate with them. So you can register now at imb.org slash live, and we'll put the link to that. Um, but we, this is a great way to use technology. We've talked a lot through the years when we think about annual meeting and things, how can we use technology to start doing things together? This is a wonderful way to do that, that we can actually see the faces of these uh, missionaries who are going. Yes. And if you think about it, we live stream the commissioning service every year at the convention. Now, we, we don't show a lot of the missionary details of where they're going because of security reasons. I mean, you know, there's a, a lot of crowd shots and musician shots and stuff while those displays are going on. But we stream it every year. So I, I, it might be that the IMB team just went, hey, we do this already. Why, not we, why don't we do this at every one of our missionary appointment services? There, there's no reason not to. So uh, I, I love the idea. I think it, it only helps us know about these missionaries, get involved in what's going on with these missionaries and to be more involved in what they're doing, to pray for them, and to be excited about what Southern Baptists are doing for Christ around the world through the IMB. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to try and tune in. Now, one of the big stories of 2015 was Tommy Green being hired as the executive director in Florida. Uh, we had a chance a couple of weeks ago to sit down with Dr. Green over the phone and talk to him about his first six months or so and where he sees Florida going in the future. 
Today we'd like to welcome Tommy Green to the program. Dr. Green is the executive director for the state of Florida and the Baptist Convention there. Just came into office back in the middle of 2015. Uh, Tommy, thanks for joining us today. Oh, glad to be with you, Jonathan. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, we are glad to have you on here. We have talked a lot about you and uh, the changes that have gone on in Florida. I know it's been a kind of a whirlwind few months for you. Tell us about just some of the things that have gone on in Florida that you've enacted, some of the change down there, and some of the reasoning behind that. I know the big one was the CP giving, jumping that up to 51% moving on to the national office. Yes. Um, you know, Jonathan, we uh, had a study committee uh, here in Florida about five years ago that grew out of the uh, national GCR uh, report, and then we instituted uh, kind of our own study group here in Florida came back with some recommendations uh, that, that dealt with funding and uh, a lot of other different type things. And, and uh, you know, it was, the things were just not really moving forward. Uh, and so when, uh, uh, when the opportunity was kind of presented to me to begin to pray about this and to think through it, I actually was on the, uh, the earlier committee, the, we call it Imagine If here in Florida, and, uh, you know, knew that there were some things that uh, pastors across our state wanted to see happen and you know that i i wanted to see happen and so um uh you know it was kind of a, a surprise really i mean you know you're you're serving a church and uh and then this opportunity comes and you begin thinking through it and praying through it and and uh, you know god just began kind of making it clear in, in my heart that this was indeed the direction that he wanted me to to go i think the fact that i had been here in florida uh, for, you know, a long period of time, I, I was pastor there for almost 20 years, uh, you know, gave me an opportunity, uh, you know, to, to have a little bit of, um, of, of, um, things that, that already were in place in terms of trust, in terms of relationships that, that kind of facilitated and, and, and I think advanced maybe even at a quicker pace, some of the changes that, that we brought, uh, when we came into this, to this role. Now, one of the other things that you've done in Florida is kind of decentralized the state office, uh, move staff around the different part of the state, made some, uh, not real cutbacks there, but just didn't fill some empty positions. Uh, there were some uh, big changes you made in the fall. How is that change allowing Florida Baptist to be better served by the state convention? Yeah, well, the, the convention staff when I arrived here had probably around 120 to 130, somewhere in that range, and we downsized uh, the convention uh, to around 60 to 65 uh, individuals, uh, and so you know it was a, it was almost a, a 50 percent you know downsize, which is a pretty significant change in in direction. But but our our our, our change was was. Uh, fueled by the fact that we felt that we could better serve churches, which is what everything that we're doing is about, serving the local churches, not about building the Florida Baptist Convention, but about seeking to, you know, to advance the kingdom through the churches and, and the health of our churches. And so by decentralizing, um, we moved to a regional model. Uh, I felt that individuals who, who were serving the entirety of the state you know, it's hard to live in Jacksonville and be in Pensacola, than be in Miami, than be in Tampa, than be in Orlando, and, and understand the cultures of, of those of those different areas. Because Florida is such a large state and a very diverse state in terms of of, of the of, of the people and in terms of the of the makeup of, of, of those different regions. And so we felt that we would be much better served to to approach the ministry in a regional model. 
And so we have five uh, regional catalysts. These individuals live in the different, we have five different regions that we have set up in Florida. And, uh, and so they live there, they, they breathe the air there, they understand the work of the churches there. And, and by moving to this regionalization, we, we have, uh, the, the third word, uh, we had decentralization, regionalization, and personalization because, you know, our primary purpose is how can we serve you and as our regional catalyst and and are there and our team are working with churches it's just what can we do to serve you and and it's amazing uh you know just what god is doing and how uh, it is opening up uh, opportunities of ministry and just changing the whole culture of how our churches see the florida baptist convention it's not that the churches i think in the past felt that they that they, they existed for the convention, and now I think they're seeing that through the changing of the funding model and through the changing of how we are positioning our ministry, that now you know, no, we're here to serve you, and that's the only reason we're here. And um, and so it, it has resonated strongly across our state, and uh, we're seeing some really amazing things already transpiring. Uh, you know, through church planting, church revitalization, through evangelism, through all the areas that that we feel are, are critical and and important focuses for us, you know, as a, as a convention. And so, so by, by downsizing, you know, we were able to, to rethink how we, uh, how, how we allot our resources with the remaining 49% that we have in Florida. And, and so, uh, it, only about, probably only about 30%, 32%, I think, or maybe 34, I forget the exact number of our, of our budget is, is for personnel. And, and so the remainder of that, you know, is, is all about the church and, and, and just, you know, putting the resources back to the churches to do the work of the kingdom. You mentioned revitalization. That's something that we've talked a lot about church planning in the last few years in the SBC. Revitalization seems to be getting a lot more steam now. What is the state convention's role, as you see it, for helping churches with revitalization? Yeah, I personally think that revitalization is going to be as big of a conversation as is church planting because what we're finding now is that we have place, but 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 the but the you know the the ministries have diminished and and you know so how do we go back into those places that that are already established in communities and in cities and and put you know a strong presence of, of ministry there and so so we're we're approaching it in multiple ways. I mean one. Uh, is um, you know churches that have interest in revitalizing other churches and bringing those churches together in conversation and kind of being you know a part of that process and helping uh, you know the, the church that needs to be revitalized you know feel comfortable as a church that will revitalize you know moves in how does that look so so that's one way is through existing churches who are healthy coming to, you know, churches that need revitalization. Sometimes it's a, you know, it's just coming beside them and doing ministry. Uh, other times it's just a total, you know, reestablishing of a work there. And so, you know, that has to be determined by, by, by the church and, and those that are involved. Uh, other ways are that, that we have some churches that, that just need a, a fresh vision. Uh, and I'm thinking one in particular that that we've been working with that you know they've been declining and 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 they realize something <laughs> needs to happen and and they have now 
kind of you know developed through through a period of process with working with some of our regional catalysts a whole strategy of how to begin to minister again within the community and we're helping and funding many of those ministries that they're doing and they're already seeing a change and so so i I think church you know revitalization is not just one one method i mean i think everything has to be looked at individually and and we're committed to to doing whatever you know is best for that church in terms of of helping them to to again have a a viable role within that community so you've seen some big dramatic changes in florida and there was an increase in cp giving last year uh, toward the end of the year after you took over, after you made the announcement that the budget uh, would be changing, the CP allocation formula would be changing. Do you attribute the increase in giving toward the end of the year and the fact that Florida was over budget with their giving last year to the announcement that you made about the change in the allocation formula? Yes, uh, totally. Uh, you know, Jonathan, um, since 2007, Florida has been decreasing every year. Uh, we've had a 25% decrease in cooperative program receipts since the year 2007. And um, and so, you know, budgeting has reflected that and receipts. We've not had a single year since 2007 that that a year has, has increased, you know, from the previous year in CP giving. So there's just been a very consistent decline. And so, you know, we made... When I came in this role in June, we were very clear about, you know, what we we're going to do and how we we're going to do it. And churches were already responding. But, you know, it's difficult for churches in the midst of a budget year, you know, to, to do anything. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we made uh, the, the vote in November at our convention. It was a unanimous, very enthusiastic, even with applause vote, which was exciting, you know, at a, at a state convention. Um, but, but at that point, many of our churches, I feel in October, uh, you know, some churches budgets begin in October had made some adjustments and others had, had, you know, just an opportunity with maybe some, some funding to, to give more than, than they normally would. Now, I, you know, we ended the year, uh, almost a million dollars in excess of our budget, which was phenomenal. But we also ended the year in excess of, the previous year's giving. So, 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 you know, this was the first time since 2007 that, that any year has been higher than the previous year. I don't think those are, you know, are, are, are coincidences. I don't think, you know, that, I mean, I think it very much is due to the, to the vision and the strategy that God has established in Florida and that churches are, are totally believing in. Uh, you know, many churches are, you know, they, they've communicated that it's first of the year, you know, with the new budgets, that they have increased their percentages and so forth. Now, I want to make it, you know, clear. I, I don't guilt churches about their percentages. I mean, that's a local church decision. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying, hey, give 1% more. We, we've not said anything. I mean, we've not said give 10%. We, you know, we, we've not put out a challenge, hey, you know, let's, let's, let's add a percent a year or anything like that. You know, we just presented the model, and, and the model has been what has driven the churches to make these decisions because they want to know that their CP dollars are that more are, you know, are, are being sent forward than we're keeping in, in, in within our state. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're, we're already seeing the, the, the impact of that uh, just in a brief period of time. I mean, I, 
I mean, when I walked this role in June, I had no idea how the year would end. I mean, you know, I, I, I was just hoping that we would kind of be at a, at a, you know, at a maybe break even point, but then to finish a million dollars ahead, you know, in our budget and to finish with our CP receipts higher in the previous year was phenomenal, which what, which means that, you know, that we will be able to take that, that million dollars, which is, uh, our, you know, our excess and, and, and send $500,000, you know, forward now to to the cooperative program because we will you know we will hold the same business model for an overage just like we do the normal receipts and so so you know that that's exciting i mean and and, and our churches know that and they're, they're hearing that and they're they're very you know thrilled about about what what's taking place all right final question for you what you've done in florida the the model that you put in place both with the cp giving and the decentralization we've seen that in some instances in other states Almost always, it's been with new leadership. Is the the change, the drastic change in CP giving and the decentralization of state staff to better serve churches, is that something that other states can, A, model, and B, you know, accomplish with existing leadership structures that are currently in place in, in those states? Well, I, I would say that any church, I mean, any, any uh, state convention working with their churches could accomplish, you know, this model. I mean, you know, they would have to adapt it according to their state. Of course. This is what works best for Florida. But but the concept of regionalization and decentralization, I think any state convention, you know, could could do that. And 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 of course we understand that 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 will require, you know, changing in personnel. But, you know, Jonathan, one of them, you know, you know, things God God is always so faithful. And and he was so far ahead of what we were doing. I mean any person that we had any type of, you know, separation with, I mean, they're already serving churches. They're already, I mean, God, God just opened the doors almost, you know, just almost immediately in these, in, in the lives of these individuals, which was, which, you know, you just, you just kind of like go, wow, you know, because, because, you know, sometimes we think we've got it all figured out, but man, you know, God, God had this figured out long before we did it. And, and just to see, you know, so sometimes there's that fear, you know, well, what will happen? Well, you know what happened was God. God was in charge of this, and and He had places for people already established, and 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 it was just amazing to see that that take place. You know, over over those few months uh, that that we went through the you know the downsizing process. But I but you know the, the second part of the question, you know, was I, I know that every state, uh, you know, they we all have other responsibilities within our state, whether it be with you know, colleges, universities, and children's homes. I mean, we have all of that in Florida. Uh, we help fund uh, uh, tremendous ministries in Haiti and Cuba, kind of on an international scale. We have, you know, we have partnerships within the, the U.S. as well um, with other state conventions. And so, you know, I don't think that Florida is, is any different, uh, you know, in terms of, of the kind of ministries that we have that, that any of our other states it's just a matter of, you know, are we willing to do it? You know, are we willing to step up and, and make that kind of change and commitment? And fortunately, uh, Florida was ready. And, and, you know, I was just, I was just, I was just given the opportunity to be the guy that God put in place to kind of, you know, orchestrate it and, and facilitate it and bring it. And, and we were very upfront, you know, in everything we were doing. I mean, you know, from, from the moment that, that, that it was announced, we, we talked about the plan. That, that you know the vision that God had given, and people bought into the vision, and and so I think that it could happen in any state. Absolutely, absolutely, it could. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Green. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us on there. We look forward to seeing you in St. Louis. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate the opportunity to share, and uh, thank you guys for your ministry. And anyway, we can serve you guys in Florida. Let us know. Excellent. Thank you for that, Jonathan. Um, I I have to tell you, I haven't gotten a chance to, to meet or talk with Dr. Green yet, but I've worked with some of his uh, staff at the uh, Florida Baptist Convention and am very, very impressed uh, with just their um, how easy they are to work with and how hard they want to work and to do well. And so um, I'm, I'm appreciative that he gave us that interview. Yes, and uh, he was a, a great interview, and I appreciate his time as well. Look forward to seeing him, like we said, in St. Louis. Uh, Amy, we'll have to get you and, and introduce you while you're in St. Louis. So uh, have to meet him and uh, a host of others that we have talked to on there. I had a great interview this week with Vance Pittman. We've got good interviews coming up from Nathan Finn and, and many others uh, that will be here every week on SBC This Week as we get closer to St. Louis. Now it's time for my favorite part of the episode this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Oh, I'm going to blow your minds this week. Okay. This is just to demonstrate how all news is news to someone. We're going to go back to 1965, and this is where I'm just fascinated at. Oh, the 60s, so it's maybe a big civil rights event, maybe. Um, well, maybe it, it actually was just as I'm looking through these old, maybe uh, a Vietnam just, war demonstration, yeah, maybe that a lot of big, big, big news, um, old Baptist press issues. And I just couldn't resist every now and then we just have to throw in kind of a light week. And obviously it was a slow news week in 1965 <laughs> because it was reported, um, that Bethany Baptist church of Newport, Delaware near Wilmington recently installed an organ. Oh, that, that was the news. It was. There was one, one more sentence, and this was my favorite part. On the Sunday, dedication services were held for the organ. The organist played as a prelude a song by Beethoven titled Farewell to the Piano. <laughs> That's awesome. Well played. It's like video killed the radio star. I know, I know. In, in 1965 just, with yes. an organ. So some weeks we have to do those like, isn't that interesting? Some weeks we need to do things that are major uh, impact, have yeah, major impact. Yeah, this is not quite Ronnie Floyd being nominated as the yeah. Pastors Conference president. Every now and then you just have to find those slow news weeks and uh, have a good time. So um, I love digging through these. Sometimes I go and look in some IMB archives and, and check out, but I really, really enjoy going back because what you see is – what they really were focused on at that time. And yeah. this week, they in SBC history, they were focused on farewell to the piano, new organ being installed. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll have to let Dr. Rainer know that his tenth, you know, his inauguration at Lifeway ten years ago uh, did not make this week in SBC history uh, because of an organ in 1965. He will appreciate that his uh, his love inverted commas there of the organ. Um, yes, it is not uh, not the greatest. So he'll well, appreciate as, that that he got staged by upstaged by a, an organ. Yes, and as someone who plays the piano and loves it, um, I'm grateful that it was not a true farewell, but the piano has survived through the years. And of note, we uh, had a recent article at TomRanner.com too that talked about the organ and the the decline and the use of the organ. Uh, that was some part of some research that. Uh, leadership network put out recently so 
it, it looks like the organ it had its strong years, but the piano, you know, still remains, and the organ still hanging in there. Now, the I'm not a hater. Are the ones that are being replaced? Yes, I'm not a hater of the organ. I actually love the organ and think it can be can be used well. I agree. I, um, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, but so, I, but I did not know you played the piano. I do. You are the I consummate do. pastor's wife. I. Uh, I did play as a pastor's wife. I had not played for years. And then I came around and played uh, the piano and the hammer dulcimer. Oh, oh <laughs> see, yeah, the Tennessee is coming out in you right there. <laughs> yes. So. so, all right. Well, resources of the week. Amy, what's your resource this week? I'm going to bring one up that I think we've actually talked about on here before. I think it was your resource of the week, but I'm going to pull it back out again and uh, throw Lecrae's new book out there. Okay. Right. Unashamed, because there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now with it, and um, I think if you get it, that you can get some other resources with it as well. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, if you pre-order it, you can get some free music from Lecrae, uh, as well as um, some different, you know, online types of things. So some digital resources. Yeah. So it may be kind of a a cop out to to pull something and recycle it, but I'm going to do it anyway because it has new resources with it. Yes. All right, and my resource of the week is a new song and um, a a mission, I guess, from Keith and Kristen Getty, good friends of mine uh, here in Nashville. The the Gettys are uh, the Gettys have a new hymn that they're giving away called "Facing a Task Unfinished," and you can find out all the information at GettyMusic.com or uh, on Twitter. You can just search the hashtag hashtag the Task Unfinished. Uh, but what they're doing, basically, they're they're going out and they are inviting thousands of churches around the globe to sing this new hymn on Sunday, February 21st, and they're providing the free sheet music and all the inf- and the demonstration and everything. All you have to do is just go and register for the hymn. You can get that, sing that in your uh, church on February 21st because it, it's really highlighting the China Inland Mission. Uh, here's a, just a quick little thing. This hymn was first penned by the China Inland Mission worker Frank Houghton at a time when persecution in China was at its height. Facing a task unfinished has been a rally cry for missions in the Pacific Rim for many years. And in 1929, the Lord laid a vision on the heart of China Inland Mission leaders to see 200 new workers plunge into the darkness and share the light of Christ, knowing that it could well cost them their lives. So this this hymn is kind of a reflection on that. And they are using this hymn, the Gettys are, to kind of highlight missions overseas. Uh, so, you know, in an, in an episode that we talk about, the IMB commissioning service next week, what better way to be involved and to, to spur your people on to mission through some new music from the Gettys that's facing a task unfinished. All the information, gettymusic.com. Uh, the link is at SPC this week. Yeah, and you know, just a comment on that resource. One of the things I love about that is the idea that we could have churches all around the world singing about the Great Commission together mm-hmm. on the same Sunday. And so um, not just a great resource, but a really wonderful opportunity to be a part of something. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, it will be exciting to, to send that. I sent that over to my, uh, my music guy at my church and let him know about it. So you need to do the same, Amy. Shoot that over to our good friend Donnie Hollis, uh, Hattiesburg native Donnie Hollis, and uh, get that going at Imago Day. I will do that. I know you will. All right. All right, Amy, uh, that's going to do it for this week. I know we we had some life-free research we didn't quite get to last week, but now it's kind of out of date. So I don't know if you want to just give it a a quick thought on that, but uh, last week, life-free research released some research after we had gone to press, but before 
the Iowa caucuses on oh. who, who pastors were supporting. Uh, the, the big winner, though, was undecided. Pastors really didn't know yet. So uh, it was a poll of American pastors, and the big winners, I guess you could say, inverted commas again, winners, uh, would be Ted Cruz, undecided, and Hillary Clinton. Because on the Republican side, it was basically undecided and Ted Cruz. And on Democrat, or pastors that were leaning Democratic, they said undecided and Hillary Clinton. So undecided right. really had it in that poll. Right. The more interesting thing in that poll, though, was that um, that Donald Trump rated very low yeah. um, on there. This might have been an which, indicator to his turnout in Iowa. It, it could have been because when we were we were seeing polls that kept saying that evangelicals um, were trending so high for him. And so it, it demonstrated one of two things, either a massive divide between, um, as I think the story said, between the pulpit and the pew or perhaps those polls were off a little bit. Well, I think and, the, the definition of evangelical was off in those. I think, I think that was more of the reason. Yes, but remember this survey from LifeWay Research was Protestant pastors. So, yeah. I mean, well, I'm we, talking we about the, the general know, polling that was saying that, that right. evangelicals were highly supporting Trump. Right. It's also possible that some of the polls in Iowa itself were off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think too, we saw so. that as well. Yeah, so... 538 it, covered that quite extensively this week. Yes, so it it was the first night of a long um, six or seven months all the way to the Democratic and Republican National Conventions, um, but it was an interesting one, and the biggest lesson I learned is that I am not young anymore. And <laughs> <laughs> Because you were fading by the time the Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders came on after about 11 o'clock Eastern. Yes, and I have a long-standing tradition of staying up late to watch election returns, and it it is not the same as when I was um, in college doing it. So it was a long recovery the next day. We'll see how I do in New Hampshire next week. Yeah, well, New Hampshire's at least on your time zone, so it should be a little bit earlier. Uh, the central time zone kind of got you. Just wait for Nevada in a couple weeks, though. Yes, well, we'll see. Anyway, it was always fun. I think the caucus the caucus process is just a really fascinating and enjoyable thing. So we'll see how things go uh, this week and ne- then in, in South Carolina in a few weeks. And uh, it, it's, it's an interesting, interesting time. All right. Yeah. And for more information, you can find out uh, on Amy's other podcast, Caucusing with Amy, available on <laughs> iTunes everywhere, I think. I'm not sure. One of these days, I'm going to move to Iowa. Why? So I can caucus. Oh, just so you can caucus. Well, they have caucuses otherwhere, elsewhere. Like Louisiana yeah, has a caucus, but it's not, not the a, first. It's not the first. I always have to be the first. So, and it's not as fun. And um, yeah, it's not as fun. And the Democratic caucus is the one that's the most fun to me. But well, why uh, is that? Is there a difference? Yes, the rules are different, okay. and I think the rules of the Democratic caucus are just uh, fascinating. But is that we'll the ones where that. they have to to group up? In, right, like, group areas. Can, yeah, so your boss, your neighbor, other. your pastor can see who you're voting for. Right, it seems, and then you have seems to a convince. bit against the um, the whole secret ballot format. There, it's the way they do it, and then you get to have to sell other sell people to come over to your side. And if if a candidate doesn't meet a certain threshold, then they don't make it, and people have to. Which is why Martin O'Malley had such low percentages because it's tough to make that. I think it's fifteen percent. Wow, okay. threshold, and so then people could try to persuade his supporters to come and caucus with them. And then each precinct has a winner. Very fun, uh, fun things. Yep. So, Well, yeah, catch all that on Caucusing with Amy, available on iTunes. Um, that'll be my resource don't, of the week next week. <laughs> don't so. look too hard for it. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on SPC This Week. We'll see you next week. See you next week.